welcome back to the Miss Independent Podcast, where we teach women to be more financially literate and independent by helping you guys, our lovely listeners, build the toolkit to be more confident investors, entrepreneurs, and go further in your careers. We have an incredible episode lined up for you guys. Today, we're interviewing Marco Grahovac, a good friend of ours and former university varsity athlete. Today, he's an MBA student at the DeGroote School of Business looking to specialize in finance. He got interested in crypto and Bitcoin in particular at the onset of the pandemic with quantitative easing and money printing reaching new all-time highs. He's big on personal finance and individual responsibility, two things that Bitcoin advocates for. We're so excited to have you on the podcast. Marco, thanks so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Uh, I really appreciate it. Awesome. Marco, so the reason why we're having this conversation today, just to get everybody in the loop, and it's all the craze right now, we're going to be talking about cryptocurrencies. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin, different kinds of cryptocurrencies, and get your opinions about what's going on with this market and whether or not Bitcoin is going to hit and rally to 100K. But first, before we get into it, let's start off and just give everybody who doesn't know an introduction into what cryptocurrencies are. The whole cryptocurrency market right now is about $1 trillion, the market cap. 70% of that is Bitcoin and 30% of the, the rest is the alternative cryptocurrencies. So within that, you kind of have a bunch of different buckets. You have the major player, which is Bitcoin, where it covers it's pretty much a crypto asset like gold is. So it's people refer to it as like the base layer within the crypto universe, if you will, so, which is like how gold is the base layer within the traditional finance system, or at least was. Um, then you have the cryptocurrencies, which allow for decentralized apps to be built on top of them, which is like Ethereum. Uh, and it allows other blockchains to be on there as well. Then you have the cryptos that connect the blockchains which is stuff like Polkadot and other cryptos. Then you have stable coins, which is basically a one-to-one representation of fiat currencies like uh, the USD or the Canadian dollar or, or whatever. And it, it, it's basically a very extensive list of people just trying new things. And I, I would say it's very fast and innovative space. Like people are just constantly coming up with new ideas for cryptocurrencies. There's 4,000 of them right now. But wow. primarily the ones that people should worry about is Bitcoin and Ethereum. I would say like those are the two main players. And then the rest, we'll just kind of see how it plays out, I guess. Okay. So you talked a lot about blockchain. Can you get a little, can you go a little bit into what a blockchain or blockchain is? Sure. So the, the easiest way, the easiest way that I kind of explain it to people is, so let's say it's us three in a room and seven of our closest friends, right? And we just decided to come up with our own currency between the 10 of us. And we all started with $100. So if I took $20 and I wanted to transfer it to Katie, in order for me to do that, it would need to be verified by another person in the room. And then once it's verified, it's added to the list of transactions after the last transaction. And then it's put up there on the wall as a public ledger for every single person in the room to see. And then everybody can verify it as well. So that, that's how it happens. It's essentially decentralized. So there is no central figure or authority that's taking care of it. Um, and every basically transaction is kind of like a block. It's added right after that. So essentially the blockchain is just a public ledger that people... Yes. Okay, awesome. Yeah. Okay. When I think of starting a currency with a bunch of my friends, I think about... Harry Potter and the Order of Phoenix when they, they had a coin that uh, that they gave out to everyone to create Dumbledore's army. So if there's any Potterheads out there, um, th- that's what we're visualizing. Basically sums up crypto. Yeah. Awesome. Let's, let's backtrack a little bit because we talked about different kinds of Bitcoins and different kinds of cryptocurrencies. Sorry. Um, so Marco, maybe you can explain just a little bit more what a cryptocurrency actually is. Like, is it something that I hold as a currency right now is it something that i can trade with is it something that i can buy things with like what is it sure so it's pretty much just a digital form of currency on on, that lives on the internet so first when bitcoin was created i I guess we kind of should backtrack like how how was bitcoin made um so satoshi nakamoto it's like a pseudonym for 
a group. It was he, she, or they, like nobody really knows who made it. Uh, the whole purpose of that was so there isn't a central figure behind it. Um, but once they made it, they essentially wanted it to be a peer-to-peer decentralized form of exchange. Once you look at that, you think, okay, first, what is money? Money is a means of exchanging value, and it's also a store of value. So those two properties are the main properties of money. So pretty much Satoshi Nakamoto, the group, or he or she, they basically decided to replicate those properties on the internet, which when you think about it, is, is kind of crazy. In, in, the, in a world of the internet where you can copy paste everything, like before, if we think about it, you send me a music file, I can just copy that and send it to everyone else. You send me any type of file, I can just copy it, send it to whoever. Well, he basically made a way to make a finite supply of something on the internet and make it in a way so that you can exchange value to your friends and basically have that supply of that crypto decrease over time where it keeps its store of value as well. So the whole idea of it is just incredibly innovative. And one that I'm, I don't think like too many people are familiar with like just exactly what it is that he did or she or they. Marco, I think that's fascinating, especially what you talked about with just the, the ability to bring this online and and the innovation behind it. But there was one thing in that that you mentioned um, where you talked about him creating finite value. And I know that Bitcoin and cryptocurrency mining has been all the craze. Mm -hmm. So can you explain a little bit about what mining is? Yeah. And how, and how we, how we get Bitcoins. Sure. So if we go back to that example of the 10 of us in the room or, or fine, we'll just go to the example of like what, what, what it is as a whole. So once there's a transaction, so I make a transaction with someone else, my transaction gets bundled with a bunch of other transactions. So it's called a bundle of transactions. Basically, in order to solve the transaction or to verify the fact that it was sent from me to you, you have to pass this thing called like this cryptographic hash. Basically, it's just a complex math problem that um, you buy a particular computer for and it solves it. Essentially, once it's solved and once all the transactions within that bundle are verified, then it's put onto the blockchain, put onto the public ledger, and you get paid out Bitcoin for it. So there's a block reward. That's what it's called. That's what essentially mining is. Mining is just verifying the transactions that are coming through and then basically getting rewarded for it. So do we need a special type of computer or hardware or software in order to buy bitcoins or is it just to mine bitcoins just to mine so if you saw if any of you have ever seen some of those crazy like computer fields that people have made it's just very intense um that's basically just for mining so i think they're called like ant miner or something i'm not actually too familiar with the mining technology or the mining software that people use but no just to buy it you can easily go on an exchange any type of exchange and buy it but in order to mine it, yes, you need partic- uh, particular software and hardware. I don't know if you've heard this, but I've heard that um, all the Bitcoins that are out there, like the finite amount, won't even yeah. get mined because with every complex problem a miner's computer does or solves, the next mm-hmm. problem becomes even harder, right? Yeah. Do yeah, you- it, it, it does. So the the hash rate gets more and more complex over time. H- however, the, the block word is halved every time. So they're estimating that by the year 2140, that every Bitcoin will be mined. Um, so essentially that will put the cap at 21 million Bitcoin. That's the hard cap. There will never be more than that ever created. Interesting. Now, yeah. the fact that it's, it's finite is really key for one concept that I think I want to dig into. So I want to move away from some of the technical aspects of cryptocurrency and talk about what it means for, for our listeners who either want to invest in, in Bitcoin or crypto and understand fully how to do so. Um, but one principle that I think is really critical to understand is the fact that the price of cryptocurrencies is dependent on the supply and demand. Yeah. And the fact that it's finite, Marco, can you speak to what impact that has 
on the supply and demand of Bitcoin or crypto? Sure. So even if we look at it as a base, let's just say that there will there will never be more demand for Bitcoin, which we know isn't true because people are learning about it every day. But let's just say that there's no more demand. Supply as it is right now, every four years, the block award going back to it, that's the new supply coming in. It will be halved. So there will be half as much Bitcoin coming in in the year 2024 than there is this year. So just knowing supply and demand, if the supply is halved, and even if demand stays the same, the price will go up. Now, if you have a supply-demand imbalance, such as demand is exploding and supply is getting less and less over time, well, we just know what happens to price then. It would just keep going up. Okay. Um, so for our yeah. listeners that maybe haven't taken economics or are new to supply and demand and some of those principles, one of the, the core principles that we learn about in, uh, in microeconomics is supply and demand and how they relate to each other. And basically, when you have more, um, more demand for a product and less supply, the cost of that asset goes up. So that's why with Bitcoin not increasing in terms of how many Bitcoins are out there, are out there and the number of Bitcoins reducing in half, like you said, every year, the yeah. cost of Bitcoin would essentially keep going up. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, essentially. Not that, that's exactly what it is. Not necessarily. See, my fear, Margo, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Bitcoin, from what I've read, um, there's a few key players that own a lot of Bitcoin, right? And mm-hmm. some of them being the people, I guess, who created Bitcoin. Um, if any one of those key players were to just automatically sell or get rid of their Bitcoin, the value mm-hmm. and the price of Bitcoin would just crash. Yeah. Right, because at that point, there's more supply in the market. Exactly. And when yeah. supply, that's another really important microeconomic principle that, that you guys should think about is when supply increases, you've got more for people to buy and demand usually goes down. Yeah, which is exactly, so Bitcoin's worked in this very cyclical way for, since its inception. So that's exactly what has actually been happening. So every time that it reaches new all-time highs or it reaches a a peak or a top, you see this 30% drawdown, 50% drawdown, 80% drawdown. And that's essentially those people that you're saying that are holding a lot, they're taking profits. But it's essentially at that point being redistributed to everybody else. So it, there will come a point where obviously um, Bitcoin, even in this cycle, so people are estimating that it's going to be by the end of 2021, 2022, uh, the short term doesn't really matter. But at that point, it'll reach a top. And those people that are holding an extreme amount of Bitcoin, I mean, it would just be irresponsible not to take profit. And they're obviously going to dump a bunch into the system and the supply will overtake demand, like you said, and the price will crash again. But it's not, again, we have to realize that this is year 12 of this asset. So it it's still very early in the innings and it's still in kind of discovery mode. And Basically, the qualities of Bitcoin, like long term, is what makes it such a um, investable asset. It's what's happening right now in the short term and the medium term. Uh, I, I wouldn't really say it's that important because we know the price will eventually um, come to an equilibrium. Marco, I love the fact that you said the price in the short term doesn't really matter because that's something that we want to teach all of our listeners, and it's a principle that we live by, we want to move towards long-term returns and look at long-term trends because that's what builds wealth and, and can build generational wealth. And yeah, if you're exactly. focused so much on the short-term, you're you're not in control, you're not looking years ahead and you're not preparing for, for the future. Um, I think Katie wanted to jump in because she's got some, yeah. some great things she's been thinking about here. But we also tell our listeners um, to buy on dips and pullbacks. Yeah. So I was wondering right now, Marco, at the price, I think Bitcoin right now today is approximately like 47,000 Canadian dollars mm-hmm. um, for one Bitcoin. Obviously, I don't think we mentioned this, but you can buy like a fraction of a Bitcoin. You can put whatever into it. I don't know. Can it be split? Like I think a million ways or something. Um, do you recommend people paying $47,000 for one Bitcoin at this price? Or do you think people should wait till it drops a little bit. What do you think the value right now of it so should be? 
Yeah, so it depends on what your time preference is. If you have a low time preference, which, for example, I'm 25 years old, I have a low time preference. I don't, I, I'm holding this for 10 plus years, you know? So if I'm looking at it that way, $47,000 is, okay, especially the way the macro investors are looking at it, it's very undervalued relative to what it could be. So if you're going by that thesis of what it should be valued at, and we can get into some of that if you guys want, um, then essentially you, you should buy it at this price. But if you have a high time preference this year, I want to make money this year, I want to make money in the medium term, um, then you don't really know what's going to happen because people can take profit. Like, like you said, we, we don't really know what's going to happen in the short to medium term. It's a very volatile asset. It can go up, it can go down, but we know what's going to happen in the long term. I think that answers your question. I want to speak to the volatility piece uh, in a little bit more detail and understand sure. why you think crypto is so volatile. But before we get into it, Marco, we didn't really ask you what your experience is with crypto, like how you got to be so knowledgeable about it. And um, when did you start investing in it? That's sure. something that I definitely want to know. Like, yeah. when, when did you when get did in? When did you get in? <laughs> <laughs> so the pandemic happened, right? And I was just watching what was happening and the entire economy stopped. Uh, they started printing ungodly amounts of money. And I'm just looking at the stock market going up and up while the real people on the ground are suffering and not having jobs. So the unemployment rate is going through the roof, but the stock market is reaching all-time highs. So that's a... Uh, or at least from the way I see it, that's a direct correlation to the amount of quantitative easing and the money being printed that's put into the system. So I'm just looking at it and I'm like, okay, this is kind of getting ridiculous, like what's happening. And I started basically listening to a bunch of podcasts, some macro investors, um, one, of, one of the podcasts, Macro Voices, started listening to Pomp, uh, Anthony Pompliano, he's a big Bitcoin advocate. And Basically, I came across this video. It's called, what is Bitcoin and why is it important? And this was, I, I had zero knowledge prior to this. So this was maybe like, uh, I want to say March, around April, I think like a month after Bitcoin was probably at like 10,000-ish. And I, I think it was somewhere around that price. And so pretty much he laid out the entire thesis of why it's important in this macro environment how basically Americans, 50% of Americans don't own stocks. They don't own any assets in an inflationary type of system where assets are going up and your purchasing dollars are losing value relative to those assets. Um, you need to own something. And the finite supply of Bitcoin and how it's accessible to everyone who has a phone, uh, there, there was just so many things that kind of clicked in my mind for me at that time. And so basically I just spent like, I just went down the rabbit hole like big time. I started just watching videos, like learning about it. And uh, that, that's when really I started investing. And in it. it was like right after uh, the pandemic. So essentially you purchased Bitcoin as kind of like a hedge against, against inflation? Yes, that and for a, a couple of other reasons. So, well, primarily that's what really intrigued me at first was its finite supply, how it operates similar to gold and how it's an inflation hedge long-term against the traditional finance system. So that was the first thing that really intrigued me. Um, the second thing that intrigued me was how it's, um, so it, it's kind of like a libertarian point of view of seeing the world. It's kind of like, okay, it's your bank account. Uh, it's only in your possession. Nobody else can mess with it. You can send how much you want, receive how much you want. Uh, nobody can stop you from accessing your bank account, looking at it or, you know, you could pretty much do whatever you want. So th those are the type of things that really like attracted me to this asset. Uh, also the fact that it was just, uh, I thought so simple. Like if I wanted to hold a lot of Bitcoin, it, it's just very easy. I buy it, I put it in my wallet and that's it. The cost of carry is zero. I, I don't have to pay any monthly fees for holding it in my wallet. But if I wanted to buy something like uh, a, another inflation hedge, such as gold, sure, I could buy it in a stock. But even if I were to buy like the physical gold, it, I would have to put it in a safe. I would have to do other things with it. The cost of carry is pretty high. Um, if I wanted to move it, trade it, I can't do that on weekends. Like there was just a lot of things where Bitcoin was 24 seven on all the time, always in my control. And th those were just some of the things that um, 
kind of attracted me to this asset. And I was like, okay, if, if I'm seeing it this way, I know other people are seeing it this way as well. You, you know what I mean? Definitely. And guys, for um, that video that Marco mentioned, we're going to link it in the show notes so that if you want to go back and watch it and educate yourself a little bit further on some of the basics, maybe there's something that we didn't cover here. Definitely go to it. The link is going to be in the show notes. Marco, you said something that kind of sparked a memory and I completely forgot about this, but about two years ago, um, I was in Naples, Florida. My parents have a place down there and I go down quite a bit. And uh, me and some friends are outside a cigar shop. Um, The boys went in and they come out with this old guy and right outside the cigar shop, there's a black Lamborghini Gallardo park there. And I thought, you know, Naples, there's there's a lot of like old, really wealthy people that live there. Um, But I just, I didn't expect the person who walked out to be the owner of this car. Anyways, he let us like play around with it. and, And we were like driving it around for a bit and we got into a conversation about like what he actually does. And this guy was a director of marketing for, you know, his later years in life retired and then purchased Bitcoin was a very, very early investor. And he got my friend to download a wallet and send her $20 worth of Bitcoin. And his whole spiel about why he values it so much. He was a libertarian. I remember distinctly talking to him about that. And he really values um, deregulation in terms mm-hmm. of financial institutions. But one thing that he said that really resonated with me is the fact that 80% of people in the world don't live in North America or in a third world, or sorry, in a first world country. They come from all over and they don't have the same financial institutions that we do. They may not have a bank account, but you know what they do have? They have a smartphone. Mm-hmm. So 1,000%. Yeah. You're, you're, you're exactly right. That's exactly what, like, why globally Bitcoin is becoming so massive. And even in uh, Libya, I'm pretty sure it was this year. So they were seeing incredible amounts of inflation every single day. And they were trying to go to the exchanges and try to pick up U.S. currency. And they couldn't. They all had phones. And pretty much they, they had news outlets. And it was Bitcoin, Bitcoin, Bitcoin. That's all they were talking about. There was the U.S. dollar was their primary concern to get. Secondly, was Bitcoin because it, just imagine like you're you're at home and pretty much that hundred dollars that can buy you ten cases of water can only buy you one case of water by the afternoon. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. I'm pretty sure it was like ten thousand percent inflation uh, within the year, probably more than that. But it, 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 there's just so many reasons. And all you're right, all those people that don't have access to banking, and, and it's not just even internationally. It's also here, there's a large portion of the population within Canada and America and minority groups where they're, they're 20% unbanked. So within America, I know that's the case. And it's like, well, why don't you have the opportunity to be banked? Well, do you not have the, like, why, why do you not have that opportunity? And basically, if you have a smartphone, which pretty much every single person has, you can just create your own wallet and be the custodian of your own funds. So yeah, you're, you're right with that. Marco, my fear is with Bitcoin and crypto, what is to stop the government from banning cryptocurrency? Yeah, that's, that's a concern that is, a, it's perfectly justified concern. Um, I guess you have to enter the game theory of all of this. So if you were to enter the game theory of, okay, what if my government were to stop Bitcoin or ban Bitcoin? So let's say Canada were to ban Bitcoin. Okay, well, that just doesn't stop America from running it, Russia from running it, China from running it. I can always just put my funds there like all these institutional investors do anyways. You know, they keep their money in the Cayman Islands or, or somewhere else. So as long as there is some place that is unregulated and running the Bitcoin network, it, it will always be running. And you're basically your country is just, losing out on that entire network and that entire ecosystem. Um, I I don't really understand why, like, people are are so adversarial to it, even banks, like, okay, I I get it at a a first glance, but banks can easily adapt to this. I'm pretty sure in Wyoming, there's a bunch of banks that are trying to, um, that, that are trying to incorporate this into their own financial services and to try to be custodians of Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies. 
they can find ways to make this profitable for them and to help everyone else out as well. It, it, regulation will come. So even in America, like regulations coming, it's just know your customer. Like that's just, it's going to be a part of every exchange. And so, yeah, we're, we're headed that way. And yeah. So one of the reasons why crypto is so val- um, is so volatile is because of the lack of regulation and institutional yeah. capital. So Mark, are you think that's going to change? Like you mentioned it's going to be more regulated. Yeah, it, it's for sure getting to a point where there's more and more regulation. And the more and more regulation is just going to make big institutional investors just more comfortable with it for sure. So Marco, my second concern when it comes to crypto and specifically Bitcoin is, I guess, it being digital and online and what's to Mm -hmm. stop us um, from getting hacked and from losing all our money. Like, I don't I don't know if you remember Coinbase, one of the digital wallets we still need to go into that in detail to tell people how they can actually buy bitcoin but um coinbase is a digital wallet that i actually i have um some crypto assets on and i remember getting emails from them that they were getting hacked consistently and it was Mm -hmm. terrifying thinking that my like the the investments that i had were going to disappear Mm -hmm. so first um not your keys not your coins that's the common popular phrase within the Bitcoin ecosystem or the crypto ecosystem. So um, Coinbase actually isn't a wallet. It's not your own wallet. It's an exchange. So that's where you go to buy Bitcoin. And if you keep it on the exchange, you don't have the private keys to that Bitcoin. Yeah, it's open to getting hacked. It's a very risky way to hold your Bitcoin or or your crypto assets. Um, If you create your own wallet, so there's a bunch of wallets, like the ones that I use are Trust Wallet or Green Wallet, Blockstream Green. Basically, I have the private keys to that wallet. And the only way for someone to hack me is to get access to my private keys. So that's essentially my private password. It's just a, a seed phrase of like 12 to 24 words. words. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. So you would have to either guess all 24 words, which is just the odds of that are insane. You would either have to do that or you would have to get the public key, which is like, if I send, again, if I send a transaction to Katie, my public key is out there for everyone to see. You would have to look at my public key and re-engineer it to get my private key, which nobody has succeeded in so far. And it uses like a ridiculously hard to crack, um, uh, I'm not sure exactly how to say it, a code. It's like it's quantum even, it's, computing, essentially. Yeah, essentially you need quantum computing. So yeah, so it's very hard to, it's unhackable essentially if you own your private wallet if you keep it on the exchange of course then you're just putting yourself at risk um but if you have your own private wallet and private keys you should be fine so are private wallets essentially physical wallets like usbs or you you can and that's the safest way to store it actually cold storage so it's completely offline uh you can get a physical wallet um uh, uh, you still need the seed phrases so the private keys, and that basically gives you full control, but it's also offline if you get the physical USB copy. But people usually just keep it on their mobile wallets. So like I said, Trust Wallet is one that I use. It's just, it's just an app. Um, Trust Wallet doesn't have any information that I have, and the private keys are completely in my control. So even if I were to lose my phone or lose Trust Wallet, as long as I have those keys, I can access my Bitcoin. Marco, I think that's an, a really important distinction for our followers that an exchange does not equal a wallet. And yeah. we'll link um, Trust Wallet and some of the other wallets that you recommend in the show notes as well if people want to check them out. But yeah. while we were on the topic of exchanges, so Coinbase is one exchange where you can purchase crypto assets. Do you um, want to explain or talk about some of the other exchanges that exist? Because Coinbase does have limitations. To my knowledge, you can only purchase 400 Canadian dollars worth of, of Bitcoin um, weekly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I haven't used Coinbase. So the ones that I used were here in Canada. I used Coinberry and shake pay but coinberry is primarily the one that i used and i used it just because of sheer convenience like it was just very easy they just send me an e-transfer link i just e-transfer them the amount of money that i want and it's into the account or if you want to if you're a big investor and you want to wire transfer them 
like a huge amount, you could just wire transfer them the money in a 10. Did your bank, your Canadian institutional bank, give you any trouble when you were sending out that e-transfer? No, not yet. <laughs> no, they didn't. Okay, because that's something that's been happening. It's something to be mindful of if you are making larger investments. Sometimes, yeah. depending on what uh, what exchange you're using, that money that you're transferring may not transfer over to the exchange at the exact time. And then with crypto currencies being so volatile, the price changing constantly, you may not purchase the asset at the price that you were hoping for. So that's something to keep in mind and do a bit of research on um, as well. Yeah, for sure. I was just going to talk about like, um, if you guys want to go here, um, why, why big macro investors are looking at this so much right now? Yeah, we definitely want to go into it. Would you consider so, yourself a big macro investor? <laughs> well, no, not at like the institutional level, um, <laughs> obviously. But um, n- no, if you look at the whole macro environment, which we were saying, like printing and, and all that. So people were typically looking at gold for an inflation hedge, right? And now they're looking at Bitcoin as having almost all of the same qualities of gold, but better. In terms of, let's say, one portability, how easy is it to move around? Again, like we were saying, if you want to move around a huge amount of gold, it's very hard. It'll cost you transportation fees. Um, with Bitcoin, it costs you a dollar. If I want to move a billion dollars, it will cost me one dollar to move. Uh, if the divisibility of it, if I wanted to give you ten dollars of gold, it would. I have to shave off pieces of gold, but with Bitcoin. I can just send you like 0.001 Bitcoin and there's 10 bucks. The scarcity of it, we gold is scarce. Bitcoin is also scarce, but it's, it's a provable finite supply. So we know exactly how much Bitcoin is in the system, how many Bitcoins are in the system, and how many uh, new Bitcoins are added into the system every single day. With, with gold, there's no way to prove exactly how much there is. We, can, we have rough estimates, but we don't know like the exact amount. Um, Bitcoin, like we said, is censorship resistant. Like no government, nobody's going to be able, once it's in your private wallet, no government, nobody can actually take that from you. W- with your bank account or, or if you're holding gold at the bank or something, they could easily seize all your assets for whatever reason um, or, or hassle you a little bit. So it's decentralized, like we said. So all of these things are just adding on to the thesis of how Bitcoin is being viewed by some of these guys. And basically they're saying like, okay, all of the qualities that we like about gold is basically in Bitcoin, but Bitcoin is just easier to use and it's just better in all of these qualities. So they're looking at it in terms of that. And right now Bitcoin is around, uh, I messed up, I think it's around $700 billion market cap. Gold is a $12 trillion asset. So for Bitcoin to get there, it will have to, 17 to 20x to get to that point and that's how people when you see jp morgan when you see some of these big banks they're coming out with these price predictions of 400,000 500,000 300,000 that's basically what they're looking at they're looking at it relative to gold and re- as a store of value or or a potential store of value relative to its qualities and that's where they're reaching these valuations so that's why when i say like the long term preference that that's basically the thesis that you're looking at you're looking at a base case of $12 trillion eventually for this asset. And if they can find a way to make it easier to transact in. So um, right now it's not the easiest for me to just buy something that there's a cost. It's a dollar cost for me to buy something. And also there's the latency time. So it like, takes like 10 minutes. So obviously right now as a method of means of exchange, it's not that efficient. For large amounts, it's very efficient. So if I want to send a million dollars, it's very efficient for me to send a million dollars of Bitcoin. It takes me 10 minutes and a dollar worth. Uh, if you want to send 1 million through the bank, it, it'll take you a while. You would have to talk to many people and get it verified and pay the fees and all, all of that. So that's the way some of these guys are looking at it. They're looking at a relative to gold and that's where they're reaching these valuations. Interesting. Marco, you're definitely right. If you wanted to send a million dollars through the bank, it would take you a long time and you'd have to get a wire transfer. You you couldn't you can't just e-transfer somebody a million dollars. Or if you're listening and you're from the States, Venmo someone a million dollars. The easiest way to do that is through crypto. Yeah. 
Marco, you, you said something that sparked a thought about uh, precious metals. And when there's a lot of inflation, when there's a lot of uncertainty, we know it to be a trend that precious metals go up. If you look at the price of gold throughout 2020 and the rally that it's had, it's been incredible. Um, at the beginning of the pandemic, I think it was um, around March, I made an investment into a silver mine. It was an ETF um, for silver mines across Canada. And I made the assumption that you know during times of uncertainty, precious metals are going to go up. And it was the yeah. worst investment that I made in 2020. So I made a lot of really great, um, really great choices, really great picks, but this was the worst yeah. one. Mm -hmm. So what's stopping Bitcoin? I guess what my rationale is, is I know with, with the silver ETF that long-term it will go up. So I'm holding it. And I know that it's a relatively safe investment because we're going to consistently be mining silver. Uh, what a lot of people don't know is silver is mined for a lot of medical practices. It's used mm -hmm. in optometry. It's used for a lot of, um, a lot of different machinery because it doesn't rust. So mm -hmm. it's, it's a really, it has a lot of applications outside of jewelry. And that's the traditional thought that, that people have. So for Bitcoin or all crypto how how does that compare like do you see similar trends yeah so it, it was kind of a perfect storm last year with the pandemic the printing of money and everything for these inflation hedge assets to go up right and it bitcoin did exactly what people thought it was going to do last year so i, I see it, i think you're exactly right that the trend would just follow um we live in an inflationary system so uh, I like to say Bitcoin has no top because fiat has no bottom. So there is no bottom to the currency. We will constantly devalue it over time. So any type of asset that you hold essentially <laughs> will go up. Like your house is going to go up in value just because the fiat currency is getting devalued over a long uh, time horizon. Um, but with Bitcoin and some of these precious metals, they're acting specifically as an inflation hedge. So they will go up over time as well. It's, it's just inevitable. That's the type of system that we're in. And if, if we want to, just to give people kind of an, uh, an overview of just how far gone, like the inflationary system has gone. In 1973, we were on the gold standard. And that was a direct correlation to the dollars that we were transacting in. 1973, they went off the gold standard. The global monetary supply at that time was $100 billion. They went from 1973 to 2008, they printed or, or put into the system in America, $700 billion worth of new fiat. 2008 financial crisis hit. In two months, they printed 1.3 trillion. So that's 25 years of 700-ish billion dollars put into the system. And in a span of two months, that's 1.3 trillion uh, added to the central, central bank supply sheet. So after that, uh, from 2008 to 2012, they were printing a bunch as well. It reached, I think, around three and a half, four, four and a half trillion dollars. And now we saw this year what happened. Where, where it seems like every week we hear a $2 trillion package being announced in America. So once people are hearing that, the gold investors, the Bitcoin investors, the silver investors, they're, okay, we need a store of value. We need somewhere to put our money. Get, get out of USD, get out of fiat currency put your money in inflation hedge because I don't want my money losing value um, or put your money in stocks, put your money in housing, whatever you want. But these, these act particularly as inflation hedges. And we talk about real estate being a great way to hedge against inflation as well, because when you're purchasing land, it's static, it's stable, and it's a little bit different yeah. from um, some of the other types of investing strategies. But why should someone invest in crypto instead of investing in the stock market? Or do you think in this given economic situation, should people move from the stock market and put more money into crypto? Or do you think people should still uh, primarily mm. focus on um, investing in the stock market? Yeah. So you don't, it, again, it's still, uh, all, out of all the things that we're saying, it's still a volatile asset. There are still risks. We, we can talk, uh, if you guys want after this, about some of the risks of Bitcoin because there are, there are risks with it. So I, I wouldn't go crazy now. It's still early. It's 12 years in. Um, it's still a very volatile, risky asset as seen from the outside perspective. Um, 
So I would allocate a small percentage of the portion uh, of your portfolio, sorry, to Bitcoin. So I would still have primarily the, the stocks, the real estate, uh, the precious metals, whatever you have. And then I would add Bitcoin kind of as this thing that can, it can really has tremendous upside. It's an asymmetric bet. It has 20x potential uh, or it goes to zero. So now you have 20x or zero, you're, uh, which I don't think it's going to go to zero, but you have 20x potential. It's, it's a big upside on your bet. Um, but yeah, so you should allocate a certain percentage that you feel comfortable with. Marco, can I ask what percentage of cryptocurrencies are a part of your investing portfolio? <laughs> yeah, and you were going to ask me that. Um, yeah, so I'm obviously like overly allocated to it. It's, it's kind of, um, yeah, so I, I have like over 50% of my portfolio in Bitcoin. Um, but that's just, Jeez, that's, Marco. <laughs> yeah, that's just cause like, it, it's just at this point, concentration of wealth. Um, like I, I, if I want to diversify and take care of my wealth, like at this point, I'm not really afraid of losing that. And I think that it has tremendous upside potential. Um, I, I know like the ins and outs of it and I know what I'm getting with it. So I know exactly what the risks are. And I'm just, at this point in my life, I'm just comfortable with that level of risk. Um, Marco, I want to thank you for, for being on because, you know, you are obviously very passionate about the topic and it comes through and, and you're a great person to speak to about some of this. Um, so the, the 50% portion of the portfolio that you have, I mean, if that works for you, that's fantastic. I know you've done a lot of research and that's why you've made the decision to have that as such a large portion of your portfolio. But yeah. to all of our other listeners, like that's a pretty big um, investment approach to take. So I don't know if you remember the Instagram post that we had about assessing your risk tolerance and what you're comfortable yeah. with, whether you want to be an active investor or passive, that all plays a role into how much of your portfolio you want to allocate to crypto assets and how how involved you want to be. So Marco, do you do you make um, trades with it? Like are you active with your with your positions or are you more passive and you've um, you've you know purchased a certain amount of assets and you just let them grow? Are you talking about Bitcoin or are you talking about um, his like stock portfolio? Bitcoin. I, yeah, I just, thought, you, just you're, buy and hold. you're holding. Yeah, you're you're buying and holding. Sorry, yeah, you did mention that. Yeah, yeah buy and hold. But but yeah, like I just want to reiterate, like, yeah, that's an extreme amount. Like I, I understand you should be diversified. You should have ETFs. You should have like twenty plus holdings in your stock portfolio and allocate the risk accordingly and just be a responsible investor. Um, this is just one of those bets that I see playing out in the long term and just you you know I. I just, I see the upside potential in it. So it's, uh, you could say it's irresponsible right now, but um, I just, I just can't see a way of it not going to those levels. So, yeah. Listen, you did all your research mm -hmm. and you're taking a calculated risk. Yeah. So I, I wouldn't necessarily call it irresponsible. And for all our other listeners, if you want to dip your toes into Bitcoin and cryptocurrency, you can take, let's say, $100 from every paycheck and put it in that way. You don't have to, again, buy a whole Bitcoin. A lot of us can't afford $47,000 for one Bitcoin. So just putting a little bit every month, every week, and just you know, getting your feet wet a little bit. That also brings the risk down a little bit. So if you're purchasing a certain amount, let's say 100 Canadian dollars worth or 100 American dollars, wherever you guys are listening from and putting it towards um, towards Bitcoin. And I know we keep talking about Bitcoin, but there's so many other cryptocurrencies, which I'd love mm -hmm. to get your thoughts on, Marco. But yeah, you, you don't have to purchase a huge amount if you consistently purchase smaller amounts. And you're, let's say one month you're purchasing it at $47, let's say it goes down because it is so volatile, you're spreading the average cost of what your yeah. investment is, which is a strategy that is amazing to use, especially if you want to bring your, um, your level of risk down. Exactly. Yeah, 100%. Speaking of risks, Marco, what are some of the risks that you see with cryptocurrency or specifically with Bitcoin? Sure. So there, there are a couple of risks. I, I would say primarily the one that concerns me is how energy 
intensive the Bitcoin system is. So you, it's using a lot of energy right now. I'm pretty sure it's like one third of the traditional banking system. And like we mentioned earlier, the, the, pro, the computer problems to solve, uh, it's just getting harder and harder over time. So it's gonna require more and more computing power. So it's using, like, it's using more energy than some countries right now. I'm pretty sure the, the whole Bitcoin network. So it's using a lot of energy, which isn't really good for the environment. But That's crazy. I had no idea. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm but, a big environmentalist. So I'd like to think that I like care about sustainability and these things. But yeah. So it's interesting to think about. Yeah. So I, I definitely see that as a concern, especially the way that we're going with climate change. And we haven't had snow in Canada and this whole winter break yet. So like, I just see that as a concern. Um, but again, like you have to put your trust in the software developers and the people working on the systems and working on the computer programs that they're going to find a way to make this more sustainable and make it more energy efficient. Definitely. Marco, before we close out, there's one last thing that we didn't talk about, and it's just different kinds of of cryptocurrency. So um, a couple of years ago, when Bitcoin first started to really rally and and it was like all over the news and crypto was, was being talked about quite a bit, I decided to buy Ethereum instead of Bitcoin, mm-hmm. because I was like, everyone's talking about Bitcoin. I'm going to be rebellious and I'm going to buy Ethereum. <laughs> of course you are. <laughs> yeah. And again, not one of my best choices. I should have bought Bitcoin at that point. But nonetheless, do you see value in Ethereum? Where do you see that going? What are your thoughts on Litecoin as an example? And Ripple is another really interesting one, because to my knowledge, um, Ripple is not being mined anymore. So all of the Ripple that's yeah. been in existence is already mined. Yeah. So first, uh, okay, first we can talk about Ripple, I guess. Ripple, I would hold off for, for a bit because it's under, currently it's under SEC investigations. Um, they're saying that it's a security. So they have a massive lawsuit going against the company Ripple. And if if they end up losing that lawsuit, I think it'll it'll hurt XRP, which is the underlying cryptocurrency a lot. So I would hold off until we see the results of that lawsuit. Um, Litecoin is like a silver version of Bitcoin, has much of the same properties, it's just not as popular. Um, But I still see value in holding it. Um, And then I would say Ethereum. Ethereum is very, very interesting and it it could actually be really massive at the end of the day. So I would just hold Ethereum if you have it. Um, because that is where all of the software developers and the people creating the decentralized apps, they're going to Ethereum, they're building all these decentralized apps on top of it. And they're creating smart contracts and all of these exciting new things. And it's all being built on Ethereum. Um, they have some problems with like the fees. The fees are kind of getting ridiculous right now, but they're also working on remedies for that. But I would say that Ethereum has really big upside and like if they can do what they say they're going to do that it can be really like really big because uh, for, for example like they're working on smart contracts so let's say that you want a loan uh you would typically go to your bank you would ask the uh you would talk with someone and then they would figure out with everything that you have whether you can get the loan or not within ethereum for example if you have a smart contract um if you have X amount of assets and you automatically fit into the criteria that the loan is willing to give you, the, the contract is immediately set and that's it. It's just coded into the system. So it's very easy and it takes a lot of middlemen out of the equation. Um, so that's basically what these guys are trying to do. They're trying to really disrupt a lot of financial services, um, which, I mean, we'll see how it plays out, but it's definitely one to look out for. And it's just interesting to, to watch. Definitely, Marco. There's one really interesting application for Ethereum that I've been looking into. So I, I was chatting with um, this one guy who has a startup. And what he's trying to build is a way to consolidate the number of people through blockchain technology, basically, um, that are owning real estate. So multiple people can be registered for the same mortgage. 
And I think that's fascinating because I'm really big on real estate investing. If you listen to some of our other podcasts, you'd you'd probably learn this, but um, I see a lot of value in owning land. I think there's a finite amount of it. There's, you know, something special about owning a piece of land. And I think it's Mm -hmm. one of the best um, parts of, of our capitalist society is the ability to own land. But what he's trying to do with uh, with the blockchain technology is allow multiple people to register and through smart contracts be registered under the same mortgage. Right now, you can't really do that unless you have a corporation that is buying property. Yeah, and it's a that, little bit more difficult to set up. That actually like blows my mind that that people are trying to like do stuff like this. Yeah. It's just it's it's very very um, innovative and forward thinking. So I hope he can figure it out. Has he done it already or is he just on? on I know it's, it's still a work in progress. I haven't chatted with him um, recently. Last time I spoke with him was like two years ago at uh, a networking event for entrepreneurs. So it was, it was definitely cool to get to know him. I'll reach out and see how far along he is, but there's a ton of applications. Like this is just one example of innovative applications to blockchain, but there are so many different ways to approach this, whether it's healthcare, whether it's, um, like you said, traditional financial services industries, there are so many really interesting applications for it. And if you look at some of the disruptors that we've had in, in our main industries in the last, you know, 10 years, in the last decade, a lot of, uh, of the companies don't have any physical assets. Like Uber doesn't own any cars. Airbnb doesn't own any properties. So do you have to have a physical asset in order to run a successful business model? We, in the past 10 years, we've learned that you definitely don't. Yeah. So it's, it's fascinating. There's a lot, uh, a lot to, to be seen, like a lot to experience with this. And I'm super excited to see where the world goes and, what the applications actually um actually come about yeah it's it'll, it'll be one to watch for sure awesome Marco. well we appreciate your time so much i mean this was a super insightful conversation even for myself and katie I learned so much marco thank you so much for your time and for just educating us all on cryptocurrency and bitcoin yeah no problem Th- thanks for having me on guys As always, guys, thanks so much for listening. We appreciate each and every one of you. Your feedback is so valuable to us. If there's somebody that you want us to have on the show, any topic that you want us to address, feel free to shoot us an email at media at misfindependent.com. Shoot us a DM. Let us know what you want us to talk about, what your ideas are, and we'll try to address them. And if you have a second, guys, it would mean the world to us if you left us a review or a rating in the Apple Podcasts app. That's all for today, guys. We'll see you next Tuesday.